Welcome back in to the Wednesday edition. It's Froggy Wednesdays on the Stripe Show podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us your time. It's been a great week in golf. Roy McElroy back in the winner circle where he belongs. Golf is better when Rory is winning. And you know what? When it comes to Rory, yes, he's been going through some swing changes, but the story of the week was 52 of 52 inside six feet. And so Rory's putting was on point. And if there's anybody who knows anything about Rory's putting, who has really had a huge part in uh, making sure that Rory is putting so much better and really being a part of uh, Team McElroy, it is Brad Faxon. So I want to welcome Brad Faxon to the Stripe Show podcast. Brad, thank you so much for your time and welcome in. Well, thank you very much. I enjoy uh, listening to you and uh, looking forward to the next hour or so. Yeah, it'll be fun. So you know what? It, it, it's I, I booked this with you a couple of weeks ago and then comes out of the shoot, Quail Hollow, Wells Fargo, Rory putts 52 of 52 inside six feet. And anybody who plays golf knows that is an amazing stat. That's that's Tiger Woods-esque from back during the crazy Tiger run when he didn't miss from inside six feet. And and we all know those pressure putts, that the, the hole looks like it's not even big enough to hold the ball sometimes uh, when you really need to make a putt. And to, to, to putt 52 of 52 from six feet is amazing. It's more than amazing. It's uh, It's astounding. The, uh, the fact that he made that many putts uh, really shows that he was comfortable with his stroke and his mindset. But I think really, you know, when the, the pressure comes on the, on the last day and especially the last nine, he made a couple incredible putts. And, and two of them, namely the, the 11th hole, uh, he had just missed the green in front, chipped it by about five, five feet. But he had that downhill left to right putt, which is a tough putt for anybody. You know, if you were at 1030 on the clock, the greens are 12 or 13. So that putt's maybe 17 or 18 on a stim meter, and he made that right in the middle. That's a putt anybody could have missed. And then I think the key for him was on the 13th hole, he was playing with Keith Mitchell, who was you know right on his toes. And Rory hit it on the green first, well short of the flag stick, about 60 feet away. Mitchell hit it in there close, about eight feet. Rory left his first putt about 10 feet short uh, right. and made that putt for par, and then Mitchell missed his birdie putt, and then Rory buried the next hole, and Mitchell didn't. So... I found that that was like the those two holes were the turning point. Yeah, I mean, it really was. And it, it was a great tournament. It was good to see Rory win again. And I know that we found out later after, Rory said he almost withdrew had he had an early tee time on Thursday. He had some issues with his neck. He got some treatment so he could swing, and it got better as the week went on. But to know that we almost didn't get to see Rory back in the winter circle, were, were you aware he was having some neck issues early on? Uh, I was. I He didn't have – early on for the whole week. It was just late in the practice round on Wednesday. He was just hitting some balls, turned to his caddy, Harry Diamond, who's one of his close friends. And I, I think really a special part of Rory and his team, but he, he, you know, grabbed his neck and thankfully he had that late tee time. And, you know, there's so many things that you have to be fortunate enough to have happen when you win. I mean, obviously everybody thinks it's how you hit it, how you, you know, putt it, but, you know, you got to get good breaks. You know, if you hit into the trees, you got an opening. Uh, and I think that having that late tee time was was a lucky thing because he said he wouldn't have been able to play in the morning, got worked on, and it got better for him all week long. Right. Now, you've been working with Roy for, for some time, and the evolution of Roy's putting stroke, I know he's worked with some other putting instructors in the past, and it had seemed a little robotic, like the, whether it was the pre-shot routine or going through it had seemed as he approached the ball it seemed a little robotic where now Rory seems much quicker. He seems to be faster to pull the trigger on the putter. 
and it seems more feel oriented. And, and I'm completely speaking from a, a fan perspective. So I, I'm more asking how has Rory's putting evolved over time? That's a great point you make. And, you know, Rory's had a few different putting instructors. And um, I, I think one of the things you have to do when, you, when you're teaching or coaching someone is, is learn their personalities and, and how they think. And maybe the, the fact that I played a little bit has helped a little bit in earning that trust from, from Rory. Uh, and look, the guy's incredibly gifted. We know that. And right. he's won, you know, that was his 19th win for major. So he's, he's certainly knows what he's doing. Right. Um, and I think for him, you know, his, his mechanics were pretty good when I first met him. But I think when you, when you're constantly thinking about how to do it rather than just allowing yourself to do it, um, it's, it's kind of just taking the wrapping paper off somebody like him. And he, he was a little bit stuck. Um, and, and the more I've learned, you know, the more I'm helping other players, the less it is about just mechanics and the more it is about an overall mindset and, and the way you prepare yourself to play tournament golf. Right. I mean, it, would you say putting is, I mean, obviously fundamentals are called fundamentals because they're important, but would you say putting is more feel or more fundamental oriented? What is, what is more important? Well, uh, that debate's going to go on forever. I'll tell you what my opinion is, yes. because if, if we went and just looked at who are the greatest putters of all time, some people like to make lists, by the way. Um, they do. <laughs> well, let's get onto that in a second. But uh, if you took a video of, of who the greatest putters are, whether it's Tiger or Jack or Ben or Seve or Phil or whoever you put in there, they all have uh, their own individualistic sort of styles, right? There's no right. one way that works. You may look and say, well, Tiger Wood looks the cleanest or the simplest, but how are you going to say that that's the only way that works when you've had all these different styles? I mean, Steve Stricker, who I probably didn't put on my list, uh, he, he's a guy that has the heel up in the air, right? Um, his hands high, uses tight grip pressure, he aims to the left, pushes the ball, and how would you say he doesn't know what he's doing? Um, Lauren Roberts, the boss of the Moss, here's a guy that kept the face of the putter aiming at the target the entire way, kind of a closed to open sort of stroke. And then you have other guys that are exactly the opposite. So I think it's really more about um, how you do, how you repeat that. Uh, and, and really, I, I think of if I broke putting down into, you know, what do you do for your pre-shot routine? And that includes how do you think? And then you have the skills of aiming, uh, starting it on your line, distance control. And then really the most important thing to me, Froggy, is, is your, your post-shot routine or your acceptance. And how do you talk to yourself after you make or miss a putt. That's that's really um, a really? big part of, of putting and being good for a long time. So I know that, you know, it's, it's been very well documented that uh, Rory has, has switched over to Pete Cowan, but it seems that the fade by a swing that he's gone to, first time out of the shoot really now after having some time with Pete, really paid off. And I know that Brooks Kepka has gone to the power fade as Dustin Johnson switched from hitting a draw to power fade. And, and, and you you played some golf. You played a lot of professional competitive golf. Do you believe that that power fade is that an easier go-to shot? Why does that seem to be something that's really working for today's best players? I know Bryson, Bryson hits a draw, and it works for Bryson, but it seems that more people than not have gone to that power fade ball. Well, I'd start by saying that I don't think there was a better uh, or a more prolific drawer of the golf ball than Rory McIlroy when he was young and when he came out here. That, that right. You know, when you see that shot tracer go and right. that high draw, it's a beautiful thing. It was beautiful. Watch. And, and I don't think because he's trying to hit a fade with Pete Cowan, that's going to eliminate the fact that he can draw it. Um, I think players know um, 
that equipment's changed a little bit. Uh, the balls leave the uh, club face with less spin. Uh, they have all felt like it's easier to control this fade now with the new equipment, even the long drive hitters. Uh, it's amazing. I've seen um, some of the best in the, in the world, uh, Josh Koch and uh, Justin James. When these guys hit their longest drive, they're hitting fades, um, which is hard to imagine. Yeah, because they're not uh, exactly. giving up distance. Like Rory did not get – he led the field in, in distance this week driving while hitting a fade, where back right. in the day, if you hit a fade, you were losing distance. Dustin we, Johnson proved that's those, not the case. Yeah, you're, you're right. Those those fades in the old day, on the old days, uh, maybe with a wound golf ball, or, you know, a lot of covers, they spun a little bit more. Uh, fades always had more, uh, you know, backspin, which had more friction in the air. So, I look, I don't think that for, – first of all, Rory's – Driving accuracy wasn't um, astounding, uh, to say the least. But I think that, you know, what Pete Cowan is assured, first of all, his, his iron play was back to where Rory has been in his past. Right. Uh, but it gave him some peace of mind, you know, where, look, I'm going to play this one. I'm not going to be searching for anything. And I'm, I'm sure that this week where Rory's here in Jupiter um, will be a lot of stuff working on tee shots, getting ready for next week's PGA Championship Kilo, where he won so convincingly in, in 12. But... Um, I, I think this is this is something that's going to take a little bit of time for him to get used to, and I don't know how much his neck was an issue for the long drives either. Right. I mean, it, it'll be great. I hope it's an avalanche, like where we just he gets over the you know just over the tip and gets that first win, and now they'll just fall into the funnel, so to speak. I'm hoping that that's the case this time because it golf is better when obviously it's better when we've got Tiger Woods out there. And I know that there's Tiger's got his, his uh, the accident and trying to get back. And it's more important that Tiger's a father and that he's around to do the things he wants to do with his children more than play competitive golf. But golf is better with Tiger. Golf is better when Brooks is on top and DJ's playing well and Rory. It's great to have these guys. And it's no really, really good to see Rory winning again. Well, Tiger moved the needle um, more than anybody has ever done in golf. Maybe Right. Aside from Arnold Palmer. Um, and what he did that was so good for our game was he not only um, increased maybe participation, but he increased viewership, right? So to have more you know, eyes Michael, on our sport. Yeah. So when, when Michael Jordan was the best basketball player in the world, more people watched basketball. Maybe they didn't buy more basketballs, but when Tiger, even when we can talk about Tiger, more people perk up. Um, and, you know, he lives close by here. Uh, in this area down here in Southeast Florida and his son, Charlie lives in the neighborhood where I live and I see him playing golf. He's got that dynamic smile. And um, it's just incredible to see how that's transferred on to this young, young kid. And um, I mean, Tiger's presence is, is felt really with, I, I know that Justin Thomas, Dustin, uh, Rory, Ricky, they all live around here and, and they've all been to visit Tiger since he's been hurt. Right. Um, they all get texts from him when they're playing well, and they really appreciate the leadership that he's showing now as he's gotten into his 40s. Yeah, I love when uh, I love when Tiger sends them some ribbing texts too, when they when maybe they don't close the 54 hole lead or they don't exactly yep. hit a great shot. I remember if you remember the players, uh, Justin Thomas told us that that tee shot on 18 was a little further left than he really wanted it to be, and he said that Tiger gave him, uh, you know, because he kind of, if you remember, when they showed it after the ball had come to rest on dry land, he put the club back up and did the club twirl. <laughs> and Tiger, he said Tiger was kind of breaking him about that. Well, that was, um, I can't remember whether it was Steve Sander, uh, Amanda Balionis that asked him after the round. I think it was Sands. Um, I would have said, 
what were you thinking when that ball left the club face? Because you turned this obviously a little more than you wanted. Um, and now I, I know you probably know what this whoop strap is that a lot yes. of athletes are wearing, right? Yes. Corey's um, a big advocate investor with the company. And he showed up on his Instagram this morning that his heart rate went up to 125 on 18 when that three would. Actually, it was 140. Oh, okay. It's 140 as the ball, when it lands on the hill and it kicks left, I mean, it kicks right towards the creek. Yeah. It peaked at 140. And I mean, that is moving. That is, for Rory, who's world-class athlete, Peloton right. numbers, and Justin, too, um, that would have been a nice number to show. And I think that uh, CBS, in agreement with the tour and with Zoom, is now posting some of the players' heart rates. It's a pretty cool stat to It have. is cool. It is. I don't think any other athletes are wearing this thing wanting that number posted. No, and, you know, speaking of the 18th tee shot, it was great to watch. I, I love watching the player-caddy interaction. I love listening to that. I think it's great. It's great. You know, for people that are listening to the podcast or watching this podcast on YouTube, you love golf, too. And so it gives you a window that we we don't get it with the NFL. We don't get it with, uh, you know, with the NBA. We don't hear coach to quarterback speak. And so Harry Rory was ready to pull the trigger and just chop back in the fairway. And Harry stops him and says, hey, let's wait a second. Let's let's think of all of our options. And to me, the caddy in that spot really showed his worth and also shows that Rory believes in him because he did back off the shot and in the end made the right decision. Well, Harry and Rory grew up together in, in Northern Ireland. They're, they're best of friends. Uh, and sometimes that can, that can hurt a relationship. But I think that uh, Harry's experience and his composure in that moment um, were incredible. And if you go back before they got to see the lie, Dottie Pepper had, had set, told the uh, television audience that that was a terrible lie. And, and Rory's first instinct when he got down there after he looked at it was to take a stance and what did he have to do to chip it across that creek? And we heard in the discussion, that's why having those boom mics so close, I mean, you feel like you're right there. Right. Uh, there was a big tuft of grass behind his ball and he could have easily duffed that in into the creek. And then it's John Vandeveld back at Carnoustie in 99. Hey. Right. And then they went up to look to the left up by the gallery, um, by the uh, stands up there could they play a shot from up there and, and harry said look if you just drop it here it's gonna bounce into the hazard you'll get to place the ball on top of the grass and ultimately um that was great advice eight iron on 50 feet and i think one of the things that harry really helped me with to help rory was telling me to to talk to him a little bit about speed and distance control uh on some of the big swinging putts and i know he worked hard on that this weekend yeah, I mean, that's a tough putt. 50 feet, it was not a straight putt. There was a lot of movement in that putt, but he nestled it up there to two, two and a half feet. But even then, two, two and a half feet left to win for the first time in quite a while. That's a big putt, and he put it right in the center of the cup. Yeah, and, and what's what, two things that happened there, and again, we talked earlier in the, in the show about the opportunities or the breaks you get when you win. Uh, Mitchell had putted right before Rory from a similar line, but a little bit farther away, and left it 10 feet short. Right. So I think Rory getting to see that putt, um, Mitchell's putt for Birdie, helped him on his speed. And then one of the things we talk about endlessly, uh, you know, with any of our players is pre-shot routine and, and how much time do you take over the ball in, in keeping that continuous motion or flow. And Rory didn't didn't pause over that at all. I think he went right into that routine in such a, such a good way. And I'm looking forward to sitting down with him uh, and just going over this uh, great week for him. So that is one of the things that you guys do work on. And I noticed you had said that earlier that it's it's pre-shot routine. It's obviously what you do while you're hitting the putt. 
but then it's how you talk to yourself and your demeanor after missing a putt that that really is that key for even guys that are that are amateurs or whether you're a tour player or not how you react to a miss is just as important so one of the things that made me the most proud of, of Rory's win this week was on the very first hole on Sunday. He hit a very nice drive, and I'm not sure what iron he hit, maybe a seven iron into number one, and he hit it to seven feet, and he missed that putt. And a lot of times that first putt can dictate your attitude for the entire uh, day. And another, that's kind of the situa- situational awareness that we talk about is, hey, are, are you going to be good only if you make a putt on the first hole, or are you going to be good if you miss a putt on the first hole? And, you know, it's kind of like the, the three-point shooter that has to keep shooting when they're cold. You know, right. Steph Curry misses a few in a row. He's got to keep shooting. Um, how do you do that when you miss a putt on the first hole? And that's what really made me feel uh, pretty good about Rory's win, and I want to talk to him about that. Because on the last hole, that was uh, the best I've seen his routine in a long time, and it matched everything he did all day. Yeah, it really was good. Now, getting to the list that you brought up, the, the top ten – Greatest putters of all time. Now, I, as you can see by the shirt I am wearing, I am a huge Tiger fan. Uh, so I was. I, it is the very first thing I looked for on your list when you when you put, posted it on Instagram. Uh, I, I saw that Tiger w- was first, and and I think that I don't think there's anybody that'll disagree with that. But I, I was shocked to not see Jordan Spieth's name on there, and I saw Rory down at number ten, and I knew Rory had had his struggles, but then when Rory goes out. I mean, the very next week after you post that and makes 52 of 52, it's like, hey, it's hard to disagree with that because, I mean, making 52 putts of any length, I don't care if they're three-footers, uh, is tough. But Because, as you know, on the PGA Tour, there's going to be putts that slide, putts that are uphill, putts that are sliding downhill, like the one that you spoke about earlier, that are running 17 to 18 on speed. But he made all those. So. I know you got a lot of kickback on those and people were upset. Of course, any, anytime you make a list, if you made a top 100 list, people would find somebody you left off. It's always that way, but it, 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 it's hard to argue with your top 10 now after the performance Rory put on this week. So I know that whether, you know, when you make this list about whether it's the best golf courses in the world, your right. favorite golf courses, you're going to leave somebody off, get up your favorite logos, like your tiger logo or, Right. my favorite logos on a golf shirt. Um, I knew I'd get a rise out of that. And I, I, I don't know that I had a criteria for every single person other than my biases. And I, I think to, to be listed as one of the greatest putters in the world, you had to win a lot of tournaments. That would be win important tournaments. Right. Um, uh, have a reputation of putting for more than well for more than just a couple of years. Um, right. and so age does have something to do with it. And I, it's hard for me to put an all-time best putter who's only in their 20s that, that hasn't played long enough. Now, you can make the argument that I um, put Bobby Jones in there who retired when he was 28 years old, but he also won 13 majors. Right. So, right, there's that criteria right. as well. Exactly. And Jordan Spieth and Jason Day uh, in 2016-17, they had numbers that had never been achieved before on you know longer-distance putting. But Tom Watson did that for a long time. He's in my list. Seve Ballesteros, uh I don't know if you can argue with him being in there, where you put them and how you put them. Right. Um, there were great players too, Froggy, that um, you didn't hear much about Morris Hatowski. Um, He was one of the greatest putters of all time. Uh, and he won several tournaments, but how important were those tournaments? And I, I, I when I put Rory in there, I, I did it to kind of raise some eyebrows because when I've played with him uh, in practice or watched him in practice, I'm going, okay, this guy is as good as anybody. And I'm 
still not even sure if he saw that list prior to playing. And if he did, right. did it help him? And if it did, then it was a good move. I'm going to put more of my guys in that list. He but was also, justified for sure. Yeah, exactly. But it was, it was, it was a good, you know what? It's always that way. Though. Anytime you put out a top 10, uh, you're always going to get, you, you know, you get to number 10 and, like you said at the bottom, you listed people who you thought were, hey, we're very close and names that still needed to be mentioned. But it's really, it's impossible to please everybody. I mean, no, no matter what you do, nobody's ever going to be happy. But Rory had a, had a great week in putting. And and you, as, as as being on part of Team McElroy, do do you take some pride in that? Was As, as you're sitting watching, and I know you were at the Walker Cup as well, but do you take some pride in watching some of the changes that you guys have made and said, hey, these are things that I know that I've been able to help this player achieve what he's achieving. Not saying that it's, you know, not saying it, it is all you. It's not all Brad Faxon. Rory still has to go out and make the putts. But there's got to be a sense of, of, of pride there to say, hey, I know I've been able to help this young man. Having kind of uh, been a player before and, and morphed into this instructional coaching space, uh, it's been really different. And the perspective you get is it changes. And when I met Rory, you know, March 18, three years, you know, three years ago, right, right before he won at Bay Hill. I, I feel like he won on, on, was it on Father's Day? Uh, what was, it was my father's birthday he won on. And right. um, we're sitting there and I was so proud because, you know, I just met him six days before. And, and now having spent, I uh, played with him the week before he went up to play. We talked about a few things afterwards. Um, you know, I'll send him little texts or emails during the week and, and I get some feedback from, from Harry. And when Rory mentions my name and our, his trainer's name and maybe Rotella or Cowan, that makes you feel pretty good. It makes you feel like you've assisted. But look, I also think the coaches can get way too much credit and they can right. get way too much blame too. I mean, right. ultimately Rory's got to, he's got to make his back swing. He's got to pull the trigger um, and, and hit the shot. Right. We had, uh, we had Billy Horschel here on the uh, Stripe Show podcast uh, last Wednesday and Billy and you both have been a uh, outspoken of the arm lock debate. And I know that there are there are so many different grips you're seeing now. You've got the traditional grip, you've got left hand low, the the, the claw, the pencil. I mean, there are so many different ways to hold the putter. I, I personally have just switched to, to to the claw grip, and and I'm putting better right now. Does that mean it'll work forever? I don't know, but I'm, I'm putting better now that way, and I I like it. I feel like I have better control over the putter. But Billy gave us a really, really good explanation of what the issue is with uh, the arm lock. And it is that when they take the grip and they turn it, that the flat front grip and turn it to match the face and then slap it up against, for a right-handed player, slap it up against the left arm, it takes the possibility of rotating the face out of the swing, really. That was his real issue with the arm lock putting stroke is yours exactly the same yes uh i was on the pga tour's policy board several times and one year when i was on the senior tour we were talking about anchoring banning and and if the usga who's been the governing body um anchors the uh, makes the ban how are we going to react to it are we going to are we going to as a as a group as a tour going to go along with that because we don't want to be a governing body. I don't think we want to do that. Let the USG do it. But you know, if I can show you, you know, when, when yeah. a player anchors against their chest, like Bernard Langer and Scott McCarron had done, 
Uh, now they have to take it off. And then a lot of players were belly putters, you know, which we like that sort of pendulum look. I think that's great practice. And then obviously when you see a guy like Bryson DeChambeau who takes his putter, well, let me get it over here. There you go. Um, my loft is my fly angle is 72, and he's bringing that shaft more upright, then attaching it to his arm. There, there's no moving parts. And, and I said it on a, a text. There's no way our founding fathers of golf wanted to see that as being a way to swing the club, right? The, the club was meant to be free swinging, um, and, and this is going away from everything that I know we believe. Um, so I, I think if the USJ is looking for something to ban, ban anchoring, um, ban arm lock, and maybe it's because so many of the USGA guys are losing in their putting that they don't want to do that. Right. I mean, it really it does. It takes away. You know, Billy was Billy told us he said, "Listen, I'm a top 25 putter on tour. It's something I take pride in. It's something I practice a lot." And he said, I, "I've beaten um, Bryson in some tournaments, and Bryson's beaten Bryson has beaten me as well." However, he feels like it takes the skill away from putting, and that we should keep skill in the game because that's what sets apart people who win and people who don't. What goes along with that too is the, the greens reading books. These guys get very detailed uh, topos of the green and they're pretty elaborate um, and, the, and the tours ban the size of what they can be now uh, and it's interesting when you talk about those green reading books Bryson whose master's record is, is pales compared to his other tournaments that he's played he's not allowed to use them there so I think Horschel's right uh, reading a green is a skill that needs to be acquired I don't think it should be told to you what to do uh, and so those two parts, I'd, I'd love to see the USGA step up and say, okay, let's get rid of arm lock. And then can the PGA Tour work with the USGA and say, hey, look, how are we going to get over the screen screen? Because all these different technologies are really cool, but right. we got to still keep some of the skill in the game. Yeah, and Billy had also said, and it's, I think it's something he wanted to say, I forgot to say it on the podcast, and I'll mention it here, that he has no issue with an amateur doing arm lock, that, that this is for professional golfers and this is for when you're, when you're playing for money and playing for a, a profession. It's different than an amateur guy who wants to go out and play with his buddies on a Saturday afternoon, that, that maybe we could stand and make golf a little easier for that guy, but when it comes to professional golf, we need to have better rules. So this whole issue, topic of bifurcation, uh, is it is it going to help hurt? You know, we've talked about, reducing the, the ball, uh, yeah, rolling the it distance back, yeah. the ball goes, ball speeds. Um, first, I think our game's pretty popular. I think amateurs play with a pro and a pro and they kind of like to see what distance the ball's going compared to how they're hitting it. If we, if we change the equipment, I, I think it's a big mistake for a lot of reasons. Um, the, the cost and the burden on the manufacturers would be so high because not only oh, the balls sure. have to change, the tooling of the equipment would have to change and go backwards. Um, and I've yet to see an amateur I've played with quit the game because it's too easy, right? That has right. That's exactly. not happening. Exactly. I'm not having that problem. <laughs> no. Uh, so I, I think that if certainly we don't want to lose participation of participants in the game. Um, so your club can always make a local rule saying we are going to allow you to anchor the putter. Um, you know, guys that have bad backs need to use a long putter. We don't want them to stop playing because a PGA Tour player can't do that. So right. let them adopt the local rule. Don't make us change the rule. Yeah, I agree. Where, where do you stand on the uh, rangefinder debate? Do you, or do, do you think that would speed up play if the caddies or, or players could use 
range finders during tour rounds? So the yardage books are so detailed and complex now that players can get the numbers pretty quickly. Uh, would, would a range finder help some speed? I think it would, it would definitely help, but I also think that adds a, a chance to maybe violate some of the rules that like the, the slopes up and down. I know you can right. turn them off, but would everybody turn them off? Right. Yeah. How do you know? Exactly. Right. And then you're not allowed to use any kind of a, like a binocular to uh, gain an advantage. You can't look in a camera to see what the player in front of you might be doing. If a putt's breaking a certain way, you might be able to tell that. Oh, if you're yeah. Looking through. Okay. Yeah. So I, I don't think in the professional game that that would completely speed up play. Like we think, right. I might validate that your number's correct when you're off at an angle a little bit, but we really don't need that. Um, I don't think caddies take too long to get a yardage where that's slowing down play. It's really some of the players, just how long they take themselves. Right. But following you on Instagram, I noticed that yesterday, or actually the day before yesterday, you posted your putting philosophy. And I, I watched the entire thing. It's, it's what, six or seven minutes long. It's great, great stuff. And, and I brought it up a minute ago, as far as putting grips go. So there is the traditional, then there is left hand low. There's the pencil claw and all, all those different versions. Do Is part of your philosophy, do you think the grip changes or is it what's comfortable to the player? That's a great question. And almost every one of us, when we're taught to play, are taught a conventional grip. Mm-hmm. Dave Pell's who was one of those putting instructors, short game gurus that helped Tom Kite develop a 60-degree wedge. He had a lot of golf schools and said he did some studies. Now, I don't know how detailed his studies were, um, saying that people that practice left-hand low or uh, lead arm low had a chance to putt better. Um, I'm not so sure that's true. I, I wouldn't think that many of the players on my list were cross-handed putters, were they? Right. Um, so... I'm trying to help teach the elite player, right? I'm, I'm trying to get somebody not to think normally. I want them to think way above average if they want to be great. You can't think like the average person does. Uh, we're, we're trying to go for greatness. So to me, I, I'll, I like to start with conventional grip, and, I, and we complimented the, the greatest short game players in the world for their great touch, their great feel, their great hands. And when I hold on to the club, I, I like to feel like the – the grip is in my fingers more so than it is in um, the palms of my hands. So right. when I have my grip, it's like I, I tell people when they pick something off off the table with their fingers that you can enhance your feel with that. Uh, if somebody gets nervous or twitchy when they hold on to when they hit a putt, yeah, then then you can go to the variations of claws, saws, left hand low. But I always like to start with conventional and, and see what happens from there. Right, and and for those of you who haven't seen it, the putting philosophy video is great. What is Brad Faxon like? If you like, you said you do work with elite players, but what is your putting philosophy? Because I love the the way you talk about um, you know speed putts and what what you should be thinking about and that that and the other. Because you know whether you hit a three hundred and fifty yard drive, if you miss a two foot putt, it's still a stroke on the card. So I don't think that the amateur player puts enough emphasis on putting they go to the range bang balls hit a couple irons and you wait till you hit that one good drive you're like okay i'm ready to go but yet you have not spent any time on the putting green so what is your putting philosophy as a a young kid growing up in rhode island i was lucky enough to live in a town that had a 
a great course, Donald Ross course. Actually, I have my logo, Rhode Island Country Club. Uh, oh, nice. And I was a caddy at 12 years old. You know, I was making four bucks for a, a single bag um, back in 1974. And um, I just, I loved the, the feeling of being outside and, and being in, you know, near the water. And the elements played a big part of how I grew up playing golf. Um, I get angry when somebody says to me, oh, you're lucky you were born a good putter. And I'm like, that's such an insult to the amount of time that I took right. to play this game my whole life and, and learn about what makes somebody better than another player. And yeah, I played, I putted well as a kid, mostly out of desperation because I was small. I didn't hit it far. Uh, the greens were often really slopey, undulating, uh, wind, cold in the wintertime where we played, you know, we could play almost year round. Um, and if, if it wasn't snowing, we played in awful weather, wow. and that helps. But my philosophy was really um, to try and keep putting athletic and instinctual. And I got uh, Bob Rotella, the sports psychologist, who was a huge influence on my game. I met him in the mid-'80s when nobody talked about sports psychology. And if you, if you went to see somebody like that, everybody thought you were weak-minded. Right. And now it's rare if somebody doesn't have somebody like a, a Rotella. And we always tried to have this philosophy that um, your your first instinct was based on trust and um, that that was the mind was very powerful and uh, he, he had so many great phrases I can recite and my favorite one is and was it's more important to be decisive than it is to be correct it's more important to be decisive than it is to be correct so when Dave Pell's uh, the aforementioned putting instructor said, you know, the best speed is something that goes 17 inches by. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. The best putt is something that goes in a hole. In the hole. Um, yeah. And, and I like my, my students to practice hitting putts in at different speeds, playing more breaks, sometimes less break other times on uh, straight putts, hitting some in the soft edge and uh, in the front edge and some hit the back of the cup. And every day you feel differently. Sometimes you, you feel more aggressive um, and, and you can hit the ball you know, a little firmer than you would on other times. But right. I think those, to me, if I see somebody standing still over a putt for a long time, kind of mm -hmm. going through a countdown or a checklist or an instruction manual, they're in big trouble. Right. So, and I know that the, the, the key is obviously to always get the ball into the hole, but let's say you've got a, a, a 30 foot putt. Is line more important than speed or is speed more important than line or is it a 50 50? It's a great debate, and and you'll have uh, all these statisticians tell you that you know with great players their their speed is never way off and their, their line isn't. And then you'll say with bad players the line's off and their speed isn't. And I'm like, wait a minute, there, there's always um, these two components that have to match up in order to be a great putter. Right. And uh, there's a lot of data out there on what tour players average, you know, the average uh, from eight feet is 50-50. The average from 32 feet is two putt. Um, but again, that's average. Um, and, and if you're going to only think that you should be average out there, you're not going to work. Rory was so far above average this week. Do you think he was right. thinking like somebody looking at a data uh, table of charts? Yeah. Um, and, and that's the one thing that I think in my philosophy is every putt that you have has a line and a speed or several lines and speeds that can work. Um, and being decisive about what you pick uh, can, it is really crucial to be a great putter. And if you're not decisive, that's, I think that's the other thing that, that I, well, let me go back a second. When, when 
traditional golf lessons, if you went to your instructor at your club and you just wanted to get somebody to look at your golf swing, we've been geared now towards finding what's wrong, right? And, and you don't really go for lessons unless I'm hitting it bad or You're I'm hitting it bad, bad. Right, right, right? And so you get video, then you look on the swing, the teacher trying to find something that makes you um, question what you're doing. And I'm like, if I can get a player where their mindset's in the right place, and a lot of times it gets easier to do that on a practice putting green than it is in competition, anything that might be considered a flaw um, in a swing kind of goes away. It, it goes away a little bit. And, right. um, Steve, you know, I mentioned Steve Stricker in the top of the show as a guy that um, aimed to the left, had some funny fundamentals, but he accommodated all that stuff together. How, how are you going to fault him? And, and there's no standards in the industry right now. If, if, if I did a putter fitting for you and then you went to nine other uh, instructors, you might walk away with 10 different putters, right? The way we, we don't know how to, to do it. You, you could you use a mallet. Would you use a blade like I use um, a combination of, so all that stuff still is yet to be figured out, uh, but we're human beings. So, yeah. And, and I use this one putter. I've used this Scotty Cameron putter for uh, 25 years. Wow. But does that mean that I couldn't have putted good with another putter? Right. Another but style? it's what you're comfortable with. Yeah, I've grown comfortable to like it. And I said, it's an element I'm not going to change much. I, I like how it looks. I know how it feels. I know the, sh the shaft, how it flexes. And the only thing I've changed on this thing is probably I put two different grips on every year I putt. Right. Let me ask you another thing. I've got so, so many putting questions. And then... And there's probably not a right or a wrong answer, but how does somebody determine if they're a face balance, the face balance putter works for them, or if it's a toe hang or that kind of 45 degree or a little less, because a lot of it depends on, you know, you know, the way the neck enters the head, whether it's a double bend or a straight or whatever, how do you know what is best for your putting stroke? I think that's what we're always trying to figure out. If, if you can see my putter here, um, that's got toe hang. The toe's hanging down. Yeah. Um, other putters are kind of in the middle. That's how mine is. I've got a mallet, and mine looks like that. I've right. got a Spider X. It looks like that. And you can see there on, on my putting rack behind me, I've got some of the toe hang putters there, and then in the middle, some of them look yeah. like they're right. Those are, are more yeah. middle, and then I got mallets that are face balanced. Uh, right. They just hang. They hang. The the, the, the face so, looks up so, at the sky. Yeah. So this this is one of Scotty's phantoms. Um, the X5, and when I hold that, it's it's straight up and down, almost right. straight up and down. Almost, Some are. Yeah. But what's what's interesting? I, I just I've done a couple putting clinics with a guy named David Orr. David Orr taught Justin Rose. He was number one in the world when he won at Marion, U.S. Open. And Rose has a great studio down in Pine Needles, and he was a professor at Campbell College, uh, golf management stuff. And he studied the stroke as much as anybody in the world. And he says what's amazing to him is, you know, and he's got all the, uh, the great tools to show somebody data on putting stats and the Sam Putting Lab and Quintech. And um, he, he said, you know what, when, when somebody has, let's say, a putter like mine that I open the face and close the face a lot because it has toe hang, he said a lot of times I'll put a face balance putter with that player and it doesn't change. And I, he said he's had times where, He's put a face balance putter in somebody that has um, not enough and it doesn't change. So I think it's so individualistic um, on, on how a putter 
moves, how a player moves the putter, that there's no absolute here. You can't just say you need face balance because, and remember, if you're opening the face too much in the backswing, um, you have to close it a certain amount on the downswing. If you take a putter that's face balanced, it's supposed to open less on the backswing, and now you don't have to move it as much in the on the downswing. So yeah, all these things are interesting topics, but I really think it comes down to you're going to be different than me and I'm going to be different than the person next to me. Do do you find it strange when, when, for example, the last day of, I forget whatever tournament, I know uh, Dustin Johnson is withdrawn from the Byron Nelson that uh, starts tomorrow. But if you, if you notice, you'll see a guy on like a Sunday, I'm going to try a different putter. And all of a sudden he makes a lot of putts that Sunday. And then he goes out the next week and, the putter that Dustin put in the bag didn't make it even through the next tournament. He went back to the spider. Do you do you find it strange when guys are switching putters mid like mid tournaments? Yes, I I find it strange being a guy that never changed in twenty years. Uh, I think that like the philosophy when you change the the style of grip that you use, mm-hmm. you can give yourself an attitude that well you know I'm just trying this different grip maybe you try less when you putt or you have an excuse sometimes. I think having that excuse um, can help players, uh, right. especially when you first time switch to left-hand lower to saw or craw, claw. Um, I just, to me, I like having the same feel over and over and over again. And when I have my grip wear down and have to change this thing, I don't like that. You know, the, the texture right. of the grip changes, the weight changes a little bit. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't ever recommend that, but I've seen so many players. Bernard Langer won the Masters one year with three sets of irons. He changed irons three different days. Wow. Um, why? why? Um, right. Yeah. But if it works, hey. So I actually do do have one more putting question. So obviously when you're standing over a three, four, or five-footer, you're trying to make that putt. At what length of putt does it go from trying to make it to trying to – I'm just trying to lag it up there – to a certain distance to where I know I can make a two or three footer. I'll draw a three foot circle in my mind around the hole. If I can put it in there, I'll make it. At what distance away from the hole should you start trying to just get it close versus make it? This was one of the topics of the, the email I sent to Rory this week, um, right before, I think after Thursday's round. And I was hoping, I, I don't like the word lag. And I know that, Long putts, when a player hits it up there nice and close, the announcers say lag. That three-foot circle idea philosophy was started by Jack Nicholas back after he wrote his, I think it was the book Golf My Way, mm-hmm. um, about finding a target. But we know in, in precision sports competitions, whether it's uh, riflery, throwing darts, um, you want to pick the smallest target possible. Um, and like we talked about the speed and the line, what's more important? When you do pick a speed in a line, you're doing that to get it to the hole, um, not to a three-foot hole. Um, so I never liked the, f- the fact that I was trying to lag. I knew that if I had good speed and good line, I could get it very, very close to going in the hole. And my misses got closer when I had that philosophy and attitude. Um, and I wanted to g- get away from, you know, fr- from 40 feet if I just tap it up there, I'm good. I wanted all the putts to have a chance. So for, for players that don't get to play and practice a lot, I mean, speed control is really, really important. And, and one of the things we try to do is try and get you to hit it out of the center of the face more often. 
that helps too. Right, which sounds so easy with a putter. You're not taking it back very far and you're, you know, you're not taking it through very far and there's not a lot of speed, but I think many people would be surprised to find that they're not hitting the putter in the center of the face every time they putt. Almost without exception, the, the amateur golfers that I play with, when they when they take the putter back, they do it very slowly and very short, and then they have a rapid change of direction. And um, that rapid change of direction really makes it hard for somebody to control their distance. When I like when I look at a player, I like to see some sort of symmetry on their stroke. So the, the back stroke and the forward stroke kind of match in the distance and match in the tempo or the pace. Uh, and you know, that's that, that pendulum idea of if you had a, the butt end of the club stuck in your belly button um, and the putter is always feels like it's between your arms, those are great feelings. And I, I think that even with players I've talked to in the past, um, good players, um, I talked to Justin Thomas four or five years ago about he needed to lengthen his backswing and then speed up his backswing, but not hit it as hard as he had been. And that's an unbelievably difficult concept to believe that. But um, I, I had a life-changing experience for me as a player and a teacher one time helping Davis Love. We were in Hawaii. He was struggling with his putting, and he did. He had a short backswing and a long follow-through um, and, and wasn't making some putts, wasn't making solid contact. And we didn't have much technology other than a video camera. Right. And we both hit some putts from 15 feet at the same time. And I had somebody video us. So I was just standing a little bit behind him, but you could both see our strokes. And on this 15, 20 foot putt, my putter went about four inches farther back than Davis's did on the backswing, but I hit the ball before he did. And wow. when I showed him that, he was like, oh my gosh, that makes sense. And he saw that. So he made his stroke longer and faster on his backswing. He had to feel like, like Justin Thomas did, that he was almost decelerating. But it was really less acceleration. Right. Wow, that's super cool. So when you're not doing the, the putting philosophy videos and, of course, causing a stir with the top 10 putters of all time and helping Rory, I know you've also got a golf course design going on with, uh, with, with Gil Hands. Tell us a little oh, bit about that. It's so cool. There uh, is a course, uh, a, the complex here called the uh, golfing community called Jonathan's Landing. And, and uh -huh. there's so many of them. I live at Old Palm, there's Old Marsh, there's the Bears Club, I mean, that have homes, marinas, um, Admiral's Cove. And Jonathan's Landing has three golf courses. Bob Ford, the pro from Seminole, lives at Jonathan's Landing, beautiful place. Uh, and they have two courses out to the west a little bit called Old Trail. One course was a Tom Fazio, one was a Arthur Hills. And uh, the, the pro, the previous pro there, Neil Lockie, a, Scott, a Scotsman who's now at Dallas National where Bryson plays and practices, was really trying to convince the membership and the renovation plans to, to do something out of the ordinary. We didn't, didn't need another or want another, you know, par 72 championship course, 7,800 yards. Um, you know, you're a course with a bunch of members that are average 12 handicaps. Let's give you something different and cool. Right. Gil Hans, you know, if you rated, here you go, make your list of something, top architects in the world. Yeah. Um, he's one, two, or three. Uh, he's up there. Yeah, he is. And, and I know he redid uh, Trump Durrell in, uh, in uh, South Florida. I played there a couple of times. I love the changes he made there. The changes he made on the red course, it's absolutely beautiful. So I've played some of the golf courses he's done. He's amazing. He is amazing. And he's on a... Uh, you know, we've had the name for, for the Reese Jones and Robert Trent Jones Jr., the open doctor. 
and, and listen to this, Gil has done now work at Marion um, Olympic Club, Oakmont. He just got the job for Oakmont, Oakland Hills, uh, wow. Baltusrol, uh, what did I say? Uh, Southern Hills, Colonial and uh, Fort Worth. So he, wow. he is so popular with his renovation. Wingfoot, sure. um, I know I'm missing others too. He's, he's doing great work. Uh, never mind his new stuff like a hoopie. And, and getting to do this course with him, First of all, it's a thrill for me because it's I, I've been around him a lot. Right. I did some work with him at the TPC of Boston renovation, which was the host of the Deutsche Bank Championship, or was. So, um, look, I played golf. I'm almost 60 this year. I'll be 60, and uh, I played golf competitively for 35 years. I still dabble in the senior tour a little bit, but uh, I'm kind of having some fun doing some different stuff. That's awesome. Well, you know what? Good luck. I appreciate your time, but before we let you go, I do want to ask you, so... We've got the uh, PGA at Kiowa coming up uh, next week. Who do you like on these greens? And I, obviously, you're going to meet with Rory, and you guys will work on some stuff. When, when when you do meet with Rory, how how do you choose what to work on after what you just saw last week? Like how, like is it something you don't really want to change anything, or did you do you see some things where like, hey, we we could be better in this aspect? So I'll be at the. Uh, PGA doing some radio. I'm going to be the analyst for PGA Tour radio like Greg Norman was for the Masters. I'll be working mm-hmm. with Brian Katrick. I'm going to do some Sky Sports. Uh, hopefully I'll see Rory before we go to Kiowa uh, and you know see him at the Bears Club this week. But um, I I don't know that I would want to change right. it. It was so did. good. <laughs> uh, but just remind him of the process that he's been doing and it's the right direction to go in. And I mean, he knows the golf course way better than I have. I've only, I've only been there once. So um, a, a lot of it will depend on the, the, the conditions. I'm sure the greens will be in good shape there. Will there be wind? Uh, how much wind? But right on the seaside, it's in May. It can still get cooler a little bit. But I'm, I'm, I'm predicting it's going to be a, an ideal spot. Um, hopefully, we'll see some crowds like we did in Charlotte. Uh, but uh, every player is different. Frank. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that what I would say to Rory is going to be the same thing as what I'd say to anybody. But uh, right. I'll have to say a lot less to Rory than I normally do. Exactly. Well, Brad, thank you for your time. Once again, check out Brad's YouTube channel. Check him out on Instagram. If you want to get better at putting, there is not a better putting instructor out there on Instagram that, that really makes it easy to understand. So make sure you check him out. It's at BFaxon on Instagram, at Brad Faxon on Twitter, and also check out his YouTube channel. Thank you for your time, Brad. I really appreciate it. Brian, you're really good at this. Uh, keep it up. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right. See you later. So real quick, I want to tell you, let me end it real quick. Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor. Improve your golf swing today. Pro-level launch data in the palm of your hand. It is very accurate within 2% of a $20,000 unit. The Rapsodo MLM app automatically tracks stats. And stores video with Shot Tracer, helpful for club gapping and understanding true distances for each club. Rapsodo MLM provides immediate feedback, data, and creates a better practice environment, not mindlessly hitting balls. Extremely portable, cases about the size of a rangefinder. And you know what? You can use it both indoors and outdoors. I love this launch monitor. It's the Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor. Check it out at rapsodo.com, R-A-P-S-O-D-O.com, rapsodo.com.